Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 10 of Daniel chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading in verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest, behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. Now I'll stop reading there. This is the dream, and following this, Daniel tells the interpretation, because God has showed him the dream and its interpretation. And we've uh, spoken about this in uh, our last studies, and we've, we've seen that the image's head of gold is a picture of Satan, or uh, as Daniel interprets, it is thou, O king, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who in turn is a type and figure of Satan. And the body of the image relates to the corporate church, as we find in Revelation chapter 13, that the image had life, it could speak, and it could kill whoever would not worship it. And all those things apply to the church. The, the church has physical life. It's made up of people uh, that are physically alive. It is able to speak. The pastor preaches each Sunday. And it had the ability to kill by driving people out of the congregations, which spiritually is killing them. So the the image of the beast came... Together, it, it formed, it was built during the Great Tribulation period as God loosed Satan. Satan entered into the corporate church and took his seat as the man of sin, ruling in the congregations of the world. And the word to be head in the Old Testament, as well as the New, identifies with having rule. That's why Christ was the head of the church. He was the ruler of the church. And so the image completely identifies with Satan, his kingdom, that has annexed, that has conquered the corporate church, and the church has become part of Babylon. And and, and so we saw that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon the feet, and we discussed that how it is the Lord Jesus Christ, the stone, but also the body of believers, and the stone grows into a great kingdom. And that's what we want to look at 
to begin with today in verse 35. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. We're going to take a closer look at some of the statements made in this verse, verse 35. We've already looked at the iron, clay, brass, silver, and gold, these um, elements that come out of the ground, identify with the earth, and they point to the natural-minded people, the unsafe people that are controlled by Satan. He is their head. He is their ruler. And, and so Satan rules over the wicked people of the world. And we're all wicked, all have sinned, except God saves a small number out of the whole and yet leaves the rest in their unsaved condition. And, and uh, they would identify with the iron, clay, brass, silver, and gold as Satan comes to rule over the nations and over the corporate church during that little season of great tribulation. But it's especially the corporate church that is in view regarding this image. And it, it's broken to pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away. So the image is intact, it's in place for an unspecified period of time. When we search the Bible, we know that the image made of the beast in Revelation 13 has to do with the church under the rule, the power, the authority of Satan, and that period of time lasts for 23 years. It's the time from the end of the church age, May 21, 1988, when judgment began at the house of God, that was simultaneous with the beginning of the Great Tribulation, and it continued for 23 full years until May 21, 2011. The image was intact throughout that entire time. It was not destroyed. It was not broken to pieces. That's the time when Satan was ruling. He was the head of gold, and he ruled over the body. The, the, the churches and congregations of the world that God had given up to him, that God had abandoned and, and departed from. And this is how Satan was able to rule over them and to show himself that he was God. There was no breaking of the image during that time of Babylon's rule. This is, this is the period um, that the Bible insists that uh, the beast is flourishing and, the, and Satan is victorious. He's ruling over the nations and ruling over the church. And the people of the world are looking at him with wonder. Remember what it says in Revelation 13, when the beast comes up out of the sea. It says in verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. He received the death blow at the cross. But now at the time of the end, when he's loosed, 
after spending a thousand years in prison in in the bottomless pit, which is just figurative language to indicate that God had constrained him in order to establish the church age, that deadly wound was healed. That is, you, you could see no sign of it. The binding of Satan seemed to be over with because he was loosed once again. The same condition he was in prior to the cross. It was restored. And all the world wondered after the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And the forty and two months is a number that identifies with the entire Great Tribulation. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All language of power and triumph. It's the time of the triumphing of the wicked. There's not a hint, not the slightest hint, that Satan is, is not victorious. When Babylon was conquering the nations, Babylon came against Judah and defeated it and destroyed the temple and took the Jews captive and it did so against many nations. That was the time of their power. They were strong and mighty and that image was to be bowed down to and all the nations, we'll read in Daniel 3, were commanded to worship the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up, pointing to the worship of Satan by all the peoples of the world, of the earth, that were under his dominion. And it's not until Babylon falls. And Babylon fell after 70 years, which that 70-year period was a historical type of the entire Great Tribulation, which tells us that Babylon, or the kingdom of Satan, does not fall until the end of the Great Tribulation period. And by God's grace, we know the duration of the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation came to a close after 23 years on May 21, 2011. That is the point of Babylon's fall, that's the time when the image of the beast is shattered, when it's broken to pieces. And, and, and that's because it's the time of God's judgment. And the language here in Daniel 2.35 points to that, that when the gold, the silver, and brass, and so forth are broken to pieces, it's judgment day. It's judgment day. And that's the time when 
the image that God permitted and allowed Satan to build of himself so he could sit in the temple showing himself that he is God and receive the worship of the wicked, the unsaved people of the earth. At the time of Judgment Day, God no longer permits it. And at that point, he shatters the image and destroys it. And and we can see from the language here that it does relate to the Day of Judgment because it says that once the image was broken to pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. Now, we read about chaff in the New Testament in Matthew 3, and beginning in verse 11, it says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will truly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, uh, the language here is pointing to the Lord Jesus as a man who is taking care of his harvest, and, and so he has the fan, and he purges his floor. He gathers the wheat into the garner, and, and garner is the barn. So he has separated the wheat from the tares, and the chaff is left over. And so uh, this is picturing the time that once the separation of the wheat and the tares has been completed, and that happened at the end of the tribulation, and the beginning of Judgment Day, because God commanded all that profess to be his people. He, he really, uh, this command provided a test for all those within the churches and congregations, all those that professed. They claimed to be true believers. That's what everyone claims when they says they're a Christian. Yes, I'm, I'm a child of God. Very well, then God commanded, depart out of the midst. Get out of there. Because the church age is over and, and he turned it over to Satan. Satan was the one, um, the spirit in the midst of the congregations. Not the Holy Spirit anymore. Therefore, depart out. Flee to the mountains. And only a few did. Now, not everyone that came out was saved, but... All of God's elect did come out. They were in the church. None of the elect remain. And, and that means all the wheat came out. All the wheat left all the churches of the world, leaving only tares. And this was a process set in motion over the course of the Great Tribulation, especially the latter rain period, and when God was saving Outside of the churches and congregations, it, it, there was division. There was um, the separation of the wheat and the tares. And and as we got closer to May 21, there was very little wheat left in the church until finally, on the last day of the tribulation, God finished the task and all of his elect were safely 
brought out of the world's churches, and then God uh, could bundle all the rest, all the rest that they they uh, outright disobeyed. They refused the commandment of God. They denied it and dismissed it and spoke evil of it. And, and they listened to their pastors rather than to the word of God, the Bible. And so all the rest were bundled as one enormous tear. And then the fires of Judgment Day came and they were cast into the fire. And we've talked about this before in the sense that because they remain in the church during the time of the latter rain when God was saving outside of the church, they could not have become saved during that second part of the Great Tribulation since they remain. There was no salvation occurring within the churches. And then on May 21, 2011, the door of heaven shut and it sealed their fate because now there's no salvation outside of the churches or anywhere at all in the world. And and so the, there was some hope for people that were not part of a church or that had come out of the church and and their families, and they, they could at least hope, well, we were in the right position, the right place, because God was sending forth his word as the rain, outside of the world's churches and and we had nothing to do with the church and and so at least there's the hope that maybe God saved my children or or saved someone that was outside of the church and and even if there's no evidence of that well we can keep praying and hoping because we're living it in a vastly different time than any other time before in history that perhaps we we just keep praying and hoping that having had mercy, have mercy on this person who was outside of the church during that very important time when when God was saving outside the congregations, that essential time period of salvation, they were not part of the church. And, and therefore, there is, at, at this point, a little hope for them. But for all that were part of the church, there is no hope. There is no hope. They're broken to pieces. The whole image of the beast, which was the corporate body, is shattered. It is destroyed instantly, immediately, once the time and season passed from Great Tribulation, from the latter rain, to Judgment Day, to the time of the end, uh, uh, the final judgment of mankind, it was a destruction that destroyed the entire church body, and it's likened here to being broken in pieces uh, in other places in the parable of the wheat and the tares. It's likened to being uh, bundled as a tear and thrown into the fire. There's no language in the Bible that provides any escape for those that we're in that type of situation. Well, we're looking at the word chaff, and we saw this last time in our last study in Isaiah 41, where God tells us, beginning in verse 14, Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel, 
I will help thee, saith Jehovah, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. Thou shalt thresh the mountains. Mountains are kingdoms. And if you read the interpretation of the dream in Daniel 2 carefully, we see that various kingdoms are in view. And it's Satan's periods of rule that climaxes with that final glorious period when when he rules over the earth and the church like he's never ruled before. It, it, it's the, the height of his glory, his, his evil glory. There's no true glory in it. And, and, and so, uh, God likens the destruction of Satan at the time of the end to the destruction of his kingdom typified by mountains. Thou shalt thresh the mountains or the kingdoms and beat them small. That's the same word is beat to pieces, or the the Hebrew um, equivalent to Aramaic, and shall make the hills as chaff. Again, hills and mountains are the same. Thou shall fan them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them, and thou shall rejoice in Jehovah, and shall glory in the Holy One of Israel. Here God indicates that it is Jacob, again, Christ and his people, the elect. It it is going to be their job in the day of judgment to thresh, that they themselves will be like a threshing instrument, that will thresh the mountains, beat them in pieces, and make the hills as chaff, and thou shalt fan them. Similar language, to what we read of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 and verses 11 and 12. The fan is in his hand, and the hand in the Bible represents the will of God. The people of God are in the hand of, of Christ or of God himself. We do his will. God opens the scriptures. He reveals uh, information, uh, truth concerning his judgment program, the believers declare these things, and we become like a threshing instrument that threshes the mountains. And remember, it's said a different way in the gospel accounts where the Lord Jesus um, cursed the fig tree, and then he tells the disciples who are standing in place of all the elect that they will do what he has done to the fig tree, And more also, they will say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, and it will obey you. Because Christ is looking ahead to the judgment program of God at the end of the world, which is twofold. First, the fig tree. The fig tree is national Israel, but Israel is a type of the church. And when God opens up the scriptures... Regarding the end of the church age, the fig tree, the the New Testament church, is cursed, just as Christ himself cursed national Israel. The body of believers are involved in the cursing of the New Testament church that's also typified by the fig tree. But more than that, when the Bible further opens up information 
concerning the final judgment of the world or or the kingdom of Satan, the mountain, mountain and kingdom are synonymous. The mountains point to kingdoms. When that information is revealed and and we only understand it today um, due primarily to our vantage point of uh, living through the Great Tribulation and having the Bible lock in the Day of Judgment. And, and now here we are still on the earth living in these days after the Tribulation. And so we, we have a very special vantage point that is uh, we're, we're able to see the Bible now with completely different uh, prism or uh, or mindset because we can see many scriptures and and now we know well that's not applying to the great tribulation and and we know that the elect are not raptured prior to judgment but we remain on the earth so this is very helpful to us which is greatly aiding us in filling in some of the blanks of concerning the mystery of God, the mystery of his word, the the hidden parabolic meaning of some of the, the scriptures. And it's showing us this information that we are to proclaim, just like we always do, like the believers always do, to share truth. And as we do so, it will be as though we are a threshing instrument that is threshing. And we're threshing the mountains or we're casting them into the sea is another way of saying it. As the sea represents the wrath of God. And we're breaking the mountain, the kingdom of Satan, to pieces. And, and the hills are becoming like chaff and the wind is carrying them away. It, it's all figures of speech to indicate the Bible's teaching, judgment day has come, and the wrath of God is being poured out upon the wicked, and they are drinking of the cup of that wrath, and it is it is ongoing, and so um, the the language of the Bible is fitting into our present time. Amazingly, these verses that. Uh, people have read and look forward to and misunderstood for thousands of years because they were not the end time generation. They were not the ones to be alive at that point. So there was misunderstanding about the nature of hell and, and, and the nature of God's judgment. There was misunderstanding uh, to some degree that the elect would be raptured before the tribulation, but through um, we've gone through it, so we we know that's incorrect. Misunderstanding the elect would be raptured prior to the final judgment. And despite the Bible saying we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, well, now we can harmonize those statements. No, we're not raptured. We're not taken out of the world prior to judgment. We go through the judgment like Noah and his family went through the flood. And... It's all serving to accomplish the fulfillment of these scriptures that we're reading about here. Or as it says in Psalm 1, 
in verse 4, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. There's the same language of Daniel 2, same language of Isaiah 41, same language of Matthew 3, uh, similar language to, to Matthew 3. The, the, the ungodly are the chaff which the wind driveth away. Then verse 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Well, the ungodly will not stand in the judgment. That's what it said in Psalm 1. All right, then, then who are these people? In Romans 14, verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Can't be the ungodly. They cannot stand in the judgment. So how, who are these people that are said to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Um, remember what it says in Revelation 6. In verse 17, after giving verse by verse by verse, describing the final judgment, it says in Revelation 6, verse 17, the last verse of the chapter, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? See, that's the, the big question. It's not, will the believers be there? No, they will. But the question is, who will be able to stand? Psalm 1, verse 4 and 5 tells us it's not the ungodly. They cannot stand. They cannot stand in the judgment. And therefore, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're to be made manifest before that judgment seat. And we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Why is it that we stand and the ungodly do not? Well, just read the armor, uh, spiritual armor that's uh, described in Ephesians 6, that the one equipped or fitted with such armor is able to stand in the evil day. We have the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ to protect us that enables us to stand before the judgment seat. To to stand means to abide, to continue on, to endure the judgment process over, as it runs its course, to its conclusion. The one that endures to the end shall be saved. The ungodly will not stand. They will not abide, nor continue, nor endure to the end. And that will be an indicator they are wicked. And they they will fall uh, during the spiritual judgment stage. And then, of course, at the very end of uh, the whole thing, they'll be burned up and destroyed forevermore, annihilated. This is the message of the Bible. Uh, Remember Luke 21, uh, speaking of that day coming upon you unawares. And then God says, as a snare will come on all them that dwell in the face of the whole earth. Verse 36, watch ye therefore, 
and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That's Christ. And what is Christ doing at the end of the world? He's judging. So that verse is telling us that the escape is not to be taken out of the world. The escape of these things is to be able to stand during the judgment. And and so the ungodly, however, are not going to stand. And they're likened to the chaff that the wind just carries away, the, the, the wind takes away. And just one more verse about the chaff before we talk about the wind. Remember, in Zephaniah 2, verse 1, Gather yourselves together, ye gather together, O nation not desired, before the decree bring forth, before the day pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of Jehovah come upon you, before the day of Jehovah's anger come upon you, then God says, uh, seek righteousness and meekness that you may be hid in the day of Jehovah's anger. But the day of Jehovah's anger is the same as the day that passes as the chaff. It's very clearly tied together. The day of anger, judgment day, is the day when the wicked are like the chaff that the wind carries away. Well, the word wind in Daniel is 7308, and it corresponds to the Hebrew 7307. Um, and the word wind, 7308 uh, wind, which is the Aramaic, it's found 11 times, and 8 out of 11 times it's translated spirit. And it's the same thing with um, 7307, the, the Hebrew word that corresponds to the Aramaic, it, it's often translated spirit or breath or wind. For instance, it's the word in Genesis 1, in verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That's the uh, Hebrew word that corresponds to the word translated as wind. It's also the word in Psalm 51 and verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And verse 11. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. The word spirit is this equivalent word that is translated as wind. The same Hebrew word that uh, identifies with the Holy Spirit or the spirit within a believer is the word that's used in Job chapter 1, verse 19. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And that's referring to Job's children who died in the house. And it was um, a wind that that came 
a great wind from the wilderness that destroyed the house. And you could translate that a great spirit. And we know that it was at God's allowance. And, and God, um, sent the wind, but it's also related to his will, to, uh, to what he permits. The, uh, word wind is the same that we read in Psalm 1, verse 4. The ungodly are like the chaff that the wind carries away, or the spirit carries away. And it's the same word as in Psalm 11, verse 6. Upon the wicked, he shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. The word tempest is wind. This shall be the portion of their cup. The wind identifies with judgment. God sends the wind. The chaff is carried away. Um, certainly Psalm 11 verse 6 it's speaking of the cup of wrath, the portion of the cup given to the wicked in the day of judgment. And and the Lord ties the horrible wind with fire and brimstone. It, it, it is coming from God and it brings destruction. Um, Job, when he lost everything, was a, a picture of Christ who emptied himself of his glory as he entered into the world uh, to demonstrate the atonement. And in Psalm 107, Psalm 107, beginning in verse 23, says, They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of Jehovah and his wonders in the deep, for he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. And we can see this work out um, in, in a few places. Uh, remember Jonah got on a ship in Joppa to flee to Tarshish, and God raised up a stormy wind. There was a storm at sea which endangered the ship and forced the mariners to cast Jonah into the sea, and then the sea was calm. Well, all that points to the determinate counsel for counsel of God in stirring up um, the wicked leaders of Israel to turn over the Lord Jesus Christ to the Roman authorities that he be crucified. It, it had to happen according to the will of God. God accomplished his will by lifting his hand of restraint and allowing evil men to do what comes naturally to them, uh, to uh, be in rebellion against God. And, and and so God orchestrates events. He works all things out according to his perfect will by allowing the the wicked to do what they do naturally. And God, of course, knows what they do if he lifts his hand of restraint. It's why we read of Pharaoh that he hardened his heart. Well, it it, it was God who could have softened his heart. Uh, It was God who could have, uh, through his spirit, not saved him, but just given him a bit of common sense. And uh, after the first or second plague, realized, well, I have to let these people go. 
but God hardened his heart because it was of the Lord's will and purpose to destroy Egypt, to destroy Pharaoh, and to accomplish the deliverance of his people. So he was stubborn and rebellious time and time again until his own counselors finally said to Pharaoh, Know ye not that Egypt is destroyed? And and it was the death of the firstborn. Again, all that had to happen. God's purpose was for all that to take place. And all the Lord had to do to accomplish that was to lift his hand of restraint from the heart of an evil man. And that evil man's own wicked heart, a heart of stone and stubbornness and it was completely set against God naturally and and wanted to go contrary to everything God said or commands. And, and so God lifts his hand of restraint and Pharaoh's own heart uh, brings the destruction upon him and his nation. And, and God accomplished his purposes. That's how God moves in the lives of the wicked. It's how he moved with Satan as in King Nebuchadnezzar of old, who was a type and a figure of Satan. And in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord calls King Nebuchadnezzar his servant because Nebuchadnezzar would bring destruction to Judah, the rebellious people of God, and in so doing accomplish God's will. And that's exactly what happened um at the actual time of the Great Tribulation, when the Lord loosed Satan, of course God knew perfectly what he would do, and and so he loosed him at the proper point in time and let him go. And not only did God let him go, but God began to lift his hand of restraint off of the peoples of the world so that they would worship the beast, Satan, And he lifted, the Holy Spirit came out of the midst of the congregations, thus lifting his hand, his spirit, from holding back the the tares, the wicked within the churches. And, And now they also would be freer to act according to their own perverted desires, their their own stony heart. And there would be an increase of wickedness in the world, and a, a increase of wickedness within the churches and congregations, all according to God's will. God is not the author of sin. God didn't make them sin. He just allowed them to do what men do naturally since the fall. And it accomplished God's ultimate purpose of bringing destruction to the churches and congregations. As we read in Jude, beginning in verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you. Feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Notice that language. It matches uh, a couple of the other verses we read. 
the chaff is carried away with the wind. Well, when God began the judgment on the churches, he let loose or unleashed a wind that, as it were, stirred up the waves of the sea. The wicked are like the troubled sea. And the um, false prophets, the, the individuals that are not saved, that take the name of God in their mouth and, and teach the Bible, they are uh, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. These are all statements that we can find elsewhere in the Bible so that these uh, this particular passage is very helpful in defining what it means that there's a stormy winded sea or what it means that that the wind carries something away we can come back here and we see oh this relates to emissaries of satan false ministers of righteousness that as Satan comes as an angel of light, so do they. They, they um, are, are professed Christians, not truly saved, and they're all part of the storm. And, and so we, we have this helpful definition. Then we read in Acts 27 regarding the shipwreck, um, and that ship typifies the corporate church. At the time of the end, after it, it is basically sailed uh, throughout the church age of 1955 years without being shipwrecked, it, it had much trouble, much difficulty, but never shipwrecked. It was never destroyed entire until the end of the church age. And what brought about its destruction in Acts 27, it says in verse 14, but not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Arachlodon. And, and the, finally, the wind and the storm at sea, the raging waves, the ship gets stuck in its hinder part and it's destroyed. And the people on board the ship, through broken pieces, make their way safely to land. But the ship is shipwrecked. It's no longer able to navigate the water, the seas, and, and it must be abandoned. It has to be left. And that's a picture of the end of the church age that, that God draws for us. And the wind and the seas, the false prophets, the, the assault of Satan and his emissaries against the churches causes havoc. It wreaks havoc and causes destruction until Every last believer that was a part of the corporate church must get out. You must flee or or be destroyed in the sea and, and be drowned at sea. Well, that's the picture. Now, the Bible also tells us in Psalm 148 regarding the wind. It says in 148 verse 8, Fire and hail... Snow and vapors, stormy wind fulfilling his word. 
yes, it, it seems chaotic. It, it, it just seems out of control when Satan was loosed and, and the, and the churches began doing, um, insane things and, and holy laughter falling over backwards and just they, it was as though they had no Bible. They, they were worshiping the sun, moon, and stars, basically, whatever their own hearts and minds desired, it, whoever came along with any kind of other gospel was well received and accepted, whereas the true gospel was, was shoved aside. And yet, yes, it, it just completely destroyed the church. And for a time, the people of God were wondering what's going on. How could this be? Isn't this the place of, of sanctuary and refuge, the place where God's people are to go? But then God revealed his purpose and his will. And the destruction of the church, though ugly and horrible and, and uh, just tragic uh, and, and extremely grievous and sorrowful, it was all those things, yet was necessary according to the will of God. God did it. God purposed it. And God brought it to pass using wicked devices, allowing Satan um, to be loosed once again and um, lifting his hand of restraint from the unsaved people of the church and the world. And, and so the time of the Great Tribulation was uh, uh, just, uh, uh, it, it, it just shook everything because God's Holy Spirit had been working carefully in the world. The world was evil, but uh, it, it still had basic morality. And the church had uh, an enormous number of tares, yet it, it still had basic adherence to the commandments of God. But then once God gave it up and, and Satan was loosed, it, everything turned upside down. There was just turmoil everywhere. But again, God accomplished his purpose of saving a great multitude outside of the churches and congregations. And now we've, we've passed through the Great Tribulation. It's completed. And we've entered the final judgment of the world. And again, we find the wind is in view. And it says in Jeremiah 51, Jeremiah 51 is, um, and chapter 50 are chapters detailing the judgment of Babylon, the kingdom of Satan, uh, the kingdom of the world. It says in Jeremiah 51, verse 1, Thus saith Jehovah, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon and against them that dwell in the midst of them that rise up against me a destroying wind and will send unto Babylon fanners that shall fan her and shall empty her land for in the day of trouble they shall be against her round about. Now again, this agrees with Daniel 2 with the king of Babylon's dream and that image that that it'll be broken to pieces and uh, the stone, which is the kingdom of God, will break it to pieces and and will begin to 
um, uh, to Fanny uh, as the chaff of the summer threshing floor. The wind will drive it away. Well, God says, he will raise up against Babylon the destroying wind, and God will send unto Babylon fanners that shall fan her. Just as Isaiah chapter 41 or Matthew 3 verses 11 and 12, the fan in Christ's hand, the body of believers, are presently, because it's after the tribulation, Babylon's rule, its image was intact during the tribulation, but after the tribulation, its rule's complete, its kingdom falls, it is broken to pieces, and yet there's a process during this time of fanning these broken pieces as the chaff. And, and the destroying wind carries them away. Now the destroying wind, if we go to Revelation chapter 6, it says in verse 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And all that language relates to immediately after the tribulation. And it says in verse 13, And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll, when is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Here God is speaking of Judgment Day and... He mentions a wind in connection with the day of judgment. You know, there's there's actually um, an important passage I like to go to, but I don't want to rush through it. And unfortunately, we only have a couple of minutes left, and it wouldn't be enough time. Uh, but Lord willing, in our next study, we're going to pick up this idea, continue looking at, this idea of the destroying wind, and we'll see how the Bible speaks of the wind blowing against both the righteous and the wicked, against the elect and the unsaved. And and that can only be uh, because both are on the earth going through Judgment Day. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.